Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. We've got a comedian on the show this week, and he's funny, but he also has some pretty serious things to say about struggling with his own mind and struggling with addiction. And uh, so this is one of one of these episodes where that we have a guest who gets pretty real and, and pretty raw. So Dan St. Germain coming up. But first, your voicemails. Here's number one. Hi, Dan. This is Amy from Dallas, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for your podcast and your books. I've um, benefited greatly from them over the years. And my question is, I came to meditation because I had anxiety and panic attacks. And one thing that happened to me a lot in the beginning of meditation is when I was counting the breath, because I was paying attention to them, I started breathing in a more shallow way, in a quick way, um, almost how you start breathing during a panic attack. Um, and the longer I meditate, the less that happens. But I have noticed that when I am upset about something or very stressed out, it still does happen. And has this happened to you? And if so, have you found um, a practice or something you tell yourself to allow your body to breathe naturally when your head is getting in the way. Thanks so much. In my experience, it's very easy to get in your head over how you're breathing, especially once it starts, it's hard to stop, in my experience. The good news is the that there are many other ways to meditate. Uh, you don't just have to focus on your breath. You can focus on the feeling of your whole body sitting. You can focus on the feeling of your hands uh, whatever they're touching. You can focus on the feeling of your rear end, uh, whatever it's touching. You can uh, do walking meditation. You can do loving kindness meditation. You can do open awareness, which is where you uh, do a mental noting of whatever arises in your head. There are lots of options. A little plug here. We we have all kinds of meditation on the 10% Happier app. And so, so uh, my, my advice with the caveat, which I know some people are tired of hearing me say, with the caveat that I'm not a meditation teacher, my advice as a friend would be to not get too worked up about it. And if you're starting to get in your head about your breath, just switch over to a different kind of meditation. Loving kindness meditation or metta meditation might be the move because there's probably a lot of self-criticism that comes along with feeling like a screw-up. I can't even feel the feeling of my breath. What's the matter with me? I can't do anything right. So loving kindness might be the move there. But uh, you can also just move to the feeling of your whole body sitting. Uh, as Joseph Goldstein, the great meditation teacher, likes to say, sit and know you're sitting. You've got plenty of options. Uh, and I, if you never, ever, ever meditate on the feeling of your breath again, you will still, you can still be an A-plus meditator because there are plenty of ways, other ways to practice. Call number two. Hey, Dan, this is Drew from Houston, Texas. Um, about 15 to 20 breaths usually into my daily practice, it feels like I'm sinking into what I'm going to call my private mind garden or some sort of zone where everything kind of you know, feels fuzzy and I'm kind of observing myself um, meditating. And I was just trying to figure out um, what that is. It feels like a desirable place to be, but I just wasn't sure from a you know, I guess somewhat non-scientific standpoint, um, what it means uh, to be there. Uh, so appreciate any thoughts you might have. Thanks. I think you should talk to an actual meditation teacher because I would, ha I, I personally have a bunch of follow-up questions I'd like to ask about that and can't because we're not having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, sadly. Um, but I also feel a little underqualified to answer that question, even if I had the answers. Well, here's what I will say, which, which um, I think is genuinely useful, which is that we are not trying to reach a specific state. The goal of meditation isn't to feel a certain way, isn't to reach a desirable place. Uh, um, the goal of meditation is to see clearly whatever's coming up in your mind so that you aren't always controlled and governed by your random emotions and urges and thoughts. And so I... I 
I would caution you against getting overly fixated on this private mind garden, as lovely as it may be, and just uh, advise you, uh, as I've been advised, to do your best to drop all expectations and um, feel clearly whatever your mind and body are presenting in any given moment. But I, I do, I, I do regret the fact that that this is a, a one way conversation, and we can't. I can't ask you more follow up questions. And I also, um, I think this one would be a. I think this would be a great one for you to sit with a, you know, a really uh, experienced teacher who can ask those questions and give better answers than than I can. But good on you for continuing to meditate, and good on you for identifying that this is happening for you, and um, it may be a, it may be a great thing. Um, but I, I would sit with a teacher because I think this is uh, perhaps above my pay grade. All right. Dan St. Germain, very funny comedian, very successful comedian. He writes on hit shows. You'll hear him talk about it. He's performed on Conan and other late night shows. Uh, and he reached out to me uh, because he was telling me on Twitter a little bit about his meditation practice and the fact that he's gone on meditation retreats. Uh, what I didn't know uh, when I booked him on the show, I thought, okay, successful comedian, has a pretty good meditation practice, could be an interesting conversation. What I didn't know was the extent to which he's wrestling with significant demons, and I applaud him for getting up in this recording and talking about it honestly and seeming to hold nothing back. Uh, this is going to be a good listen, and I and I, uh, I really thank Dan for coming on. Here he is, Dan St. Germain. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How'd you get started meditating? How did that happen? I, you know, when I was in high school, I would try, but I would immediately, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. You, you were know? a very different high schooler than me because I, that wasn't, it was the last thing on my mind. Well, I tried it like twice. You know right. what I mean? It's like, I, it's like saying I tried Ethiopian food. I did, <laughs> I did it once, you know, I can't really like feel like I was, you know, under the tree of enlightenment in high school. I was, uh, I was, I was definitely not fun to be around in high school and college. Um, Oh, I have, I, and I still do. I mean, like, you know, I'm sober now, but I definitely had a bad drinking problem, bad drug problem, smoked cigarettes. In high school. Oh, yeah. It started in high school. Um, and, where did uh, you grow up? I, I, well, I was in New Jersey, Rutherford, New Jersey, and then I went to Westchester, New York. Um, but I was one of those kids who was like, oh, I'd get the lead of the school play. But then, you know, like a week later, I was drunk in the woods in back of the school play, <laughs> you know, like, so I was, I was kind of like, Hey, if I can get this one sort of thing that I can do what I really want to do, which was was get messed up. And some of those times are really fun. Like the my, my second half of the year of high school when I was just like smoking weed and listening to jam band music and I had no responsibilities because at the time I was like banned from the public forum because I was uh, I had made some joke on the intercom they didn't like, you know, because I used to do like school announcements. But that was great. But then eventually. As with all, because I think you've talked about your book, you've had struggles with it. Eventually, it stops working, you know, and, and what would be, you know, first you're the fun drunk, then you're the angry drunk, then you're the sad drunk. At least that's what my case was, or the or the sad user, and then... Um, Which it wasn't, wasn't just booze. No, you know, like it's like ABC, alcohol becomes cocaine, or pills, or really whatever I could... Get your hands on. Hands on. I mean, I do, I, I have to give... Uh, a shout out to one crack dealer because the only reason I didn't do that is because I was too drunk to buy crack and he told me to go home. <laughs> he was like, hey, man, you've had too much, so why don't you uh, come back? He was like my guardian angel, that guy. Uh, so that could have shout outs yeah, to that guy. That could have gone down the toilet. Yeah, that would have been really rough. But, uh, you know, I went to two rehabs. and When, the, when was the rehab? Well, the rehab was about um, – Man, five years ago, okay, I was this, just this part's pretty recent. Well, wait, wait, six years ago, I think. Um, and I have about a year of sobriety back. I was on, I got, I got put on the wrong anxiety medication. Um, uh, so horrendous anxiety, which is where kind of a lot of the meditation comes into play. Um, you know, because what people don't realize is there's so many for me, there's a lot of correlation, uh, between you know, a 12 step program and and meditation in the sense that you know. It's really just life on life's terms in a lot of ways and kind of like accepting the moment and not trying to like, you know, you're you're not in control of the show, essentially. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've been, you know, it had, it's been a struggle with me for for a while and 
and you know luckily now i've put in a little time but it definitely was you know it was it was rough it was rough for a while so you said you were in rehabs I went, six years ago well i went to an outpatient like about eight years ago i think and i could be this place called parallax in um new york city i believe that's what the name was that either sounds like a rehab or a gym i'm not sure um and then the next one was seabrook house in south jersey um which was good i mean it was like a month the thing about rehab is is, is all it does is it gets you a month of not doing it it really doesn't like you know you can learn some stuff there but it's not gonna it's not it, it's really like it's putting like a kid in the timeout. You're not really, you know, the kid's still going to be drawn, going to want to draw on the walls afterwards. But for that half, for that, you know, 20 minutes he's in timeout, uh, there, there's going to be uh, less damage at that point. And at the time, I was trying to win back a girl that I'd messed up with. And, you know, like my, my reasons weren't really, if I look at my side of the street, it was I messed up. Um, and now I'm going to try, and, I, and selfishly, I want to get my life back where it was. You know, it, it was kind of it's kind of crazy that the week beforehand I was doing, you know, John Oliver's New York stand up show on Comedy Central. And then two weeks later, I'm literally on a hill with a bunch of other alcoholics trying to pet a horse for equine therapy. You're like, this has been a real 180 <laughs> for me. Um, I'm laughing. No, no, I'm it's fine. You. No, no, it's fine. I mean, the you know, and that that's part of the you know part of like going to rehab is humbling. You know, like you have to paint Easter eggs. We had to paint Easter eggs while you were there. What so does that with, mean? Pay no, we had to paint Easter eggs. Oh, paint like, so Easter we're sitting. Egg. I'm okay. sitting with these grown men, like making eggs. You know, like because it was around Easter time, we couldn't. Nobody could see their families, and then we had to try sober karaoke. It was like uh, there were some real nightmares. But you know, the, the plus side, I met this guy um, Steve, who actually recently passed um, a couple weeks ago. I found that me and my girlfriend were going up to vacation in Stowe, Vermont, and, and he was a wonderful resource while I was there. And um, I wasn't really introduced to meditation there. I, that, that's more like a 12 step kind of thing. But, um, you know, eventually, you know, like I think what happens is, is, is you know, and you, you talk a lot about ambition in your book. Uh, I, I read your book at a silent retreat, which, which I'm sorry, this is jumping all around. No, this all is great. Man. But um, I, uh, you know, eventually you get out of it and you get, you get, you, you know, you get sober and it's, or, or, and you realize it's really not me. It's more of like, you know, like you can, you can have problems with food, with drugs, with being a workaholic, you know, with, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, whatever it is, gambling, you know, sex, whatever it is, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's like a kleptomania. It doesn't, oh, I'm sorry. It doesn't, you, you can swear. Okay. We're it doesn't, you, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like everybody's, um, addiction can almost manifest itself in in different ways you know for me it's been like food and 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 work and you know like stuff like that where you you kind of um you kind of jump into that thing so it's like that that whole the whole monkey mind the spinning doesn't really stop because like i had an old sponsor would always say this to me that you know the one the the one reason i drank is cuz i just wanted like that 5 minutes of peace and quiet you know um, and, uh, and that's kind of what I've, what I've wanted with meditation, you know, and what I've, what I've wanted through my life, you know, you think when you get into stuff like, oh, the job is going to save me or, or the relationship that I'm in is going to save me or, so, you know, some greater, you know, greater cause is going to save me. And, and the truth is, it's like, for me, I'm like, you know, cause it's never, it's never going to be, it's never, you know, it's never going to be enough, you know? So it's like, so you have to be happy with with where you're at and um and i'm not saying that for me had to like quell my ambition but um i i noticed that like the stuff that i would you know attain in life you know whether it was you know i i wanted the, oh if i just sold a script then i would be happy if i just got on late night tv i'd be happy oh, oh if i made this girl my girlfriend i would just i would just be happy and none of those things really worked for me because you're, you're you're and you're also putting a lot of pressure on whatever those things are. Yeah, the Buddha has a word for that. Yeah, suffering. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, it is. It, it masks itself, and um, and, and some sort of like weird happiness. You know, like like I'm gonna find this plateau. You know, um, let me ask you just a few, uh, yeah. just two two factual questions, just to yeah. place myself in your narrative. Yeah. How old are you? 
I'm 34. 34. Okay. So, and then the other question is, so you, the last rehab was give or take six years ago. Yeah, you, five years ago. Five yeah. years ago. But you said you've been sober for a year. So well, there what happened was after. I had about two and a half years sober and I uh, got put on Quanapin, Uh And I, I know it well. Yeah. And um, I, you know, look, I, I, I'm very hesitant to talk about benzos. Because quantum. Let me just clarify: benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines. Whole family that includes Valium, yes, Clonopin, Ativan, yes, et cetera. Carry on. And I'm I'm currently, you know, I'm on Xanax. Like now, I take Xanax. Now, you know, there's a lot of I, I, I use it as prescribed with a psychiatrist who's like very highly, you know, to deal with help help with panic attacks. Um, but you I use panic it. attacks too. Oh yeah, I mean okay. that's kind of what got me because I had about two and a half years sober. And then all of a sudden, like, uh, I just started, and I'm, I'm talking about real because I, I, you know, I'm bipolar too. I have like everything, right? But like when I was bipolar, I would have this incredible depression, you know. Um, and and then I took Lamictal, which is a medication, and that kind of went away. And then the panic attacks I would have, and you know, like, you know, not to bring up sore subject, but I know you've dealt with that. And, yes. You know, and it's it's funny when people think of a panic attack, they think it's the speech from network, you know, where yes. you're going, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore and all that. <laughs> but I was actually going through when I saw, you know, with saw footage of what you went through. It was it was it's very similar to what I, I started tripping on words. You start repeating words. This is on stage. This was not on stage. I've never really had a problem on stage. But when I was in I was writing on a show um, and like the person, this uh, lovely man um, by the name of. Uh, uh, Chuck Tatham, who uh, was a writer on Modern Family, he's a terrific guy. Um, but you know, like he he saw it. I was kind of like repeating words. Or so you, you were know? in the writers' room with him. Working yes, on a show yeah, and yeah, yeah. Out. And I'm yes. like, I'm I'm literally going like, I'm gonna get this water bottle. I'm gonna get this water. I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna like that kind of like I was like in a, like I was like some sort of like really like uh, like high stressed auctioneer or something. <laughs> uh, so. The doctor had put me on Klonopin. Again, I'm not laughing at you. No, you no, no. It's, 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 it's fine, yeah. Okay. But I got put on the Klonopin, and then the Klonopin just changed me. Like, I just started using it, and I was like, oh, this is great. This just feels like one Bud Light. And then two days later, you're like, oh, I can have one Bud Light. And then five days later, you're in the ER, you know? So whoa, it's like, yeah, whoa. yeah, because it always leads that. It's pretty drastic for me. Um, but... You know, the panic attacks then become a little bit more severe again. So I'm like, all right, so I, I need to use all the tools at my disposal. I need to meditate every morning. I need to pray every morning. I need to go to a couple of meetings every week. Um, I need, AA meetings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I need to go uh, – I need to have a cognitive therapist. I need to have a psychiatrist. I need – I need to go to couples therapy. I need to do – like, it takes a village to keep me going because I know – you know, when I'm like, you know, like, like, like the last relapse that I had before this one was like three years before that. And, you know, when I'm like, when you get handcuffed after getting beat up on the street, you're kind of like, this isn't, I can't casually do this anymore. You know, there's no, I'm not, I'm never going to be in Sonoma Valley, you know, with a, with a with Chardonnay and a black lab with a handkerchief on talking about stocks. That's just not me. You know, I'm like, I'm, go- you know, I'm like, let's, let's do this. Shit. You know, like. <laughs> As soon as I have one, so so wait, wait. You ended up in the ER not because you were overserved alcohol. You no, ended up in the it ER went to everything. Yeah, that no, 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 no. That was that was a different story. I ended up in the ER because I had you know, oh, I have booze, and then oh, you know, cocaine would make this great, and oh, okay, let me go all the way to get this, uh, go buy cocaine from this one guy, and then oh, you run out of that, so you get something else, and then that turns out to be methamphetamines which i never had before and you think you're dying and then you call in and you know i took some medical leave time like a couple weeks to get my stuff straight which again i I credit that to a wonderful boss um who i I don't know if i want to name because i I don't know how that really works but i will say that like you know i i was i was very i was very lucky and that i was surrounded by gentle people who wanted to see me through um and, uh, you know, like, it's true when you get through that kind of stuff, you cause, you know, you, you do cause some, you know, destruction, uh, you know, in, in your life, people who love you, personal life. And, you know, so you have uh, but the, but the reason that that came in is I didn't want to drink. I wanted the panic attacks to stop, you know, so I took the clonopin because 
I thought that that was going to be a way to get the panic to stop and I'd be able to be able to breathe again, you know? Um, and then, uh, and then that went to something else. And now I've kind of been able to through, um, you know, through a lot of work on myself, I've been able to deal with, you know, with, I don't even know if it's really bipolar because I don't, cause I know people who have bipolar and they're like so far off than I am as far as like, as far as like what, what it does to them. But as far as like, you know, I've like, I don't know if it would be an obsessive compulsive disorder followed by depression, followed by the alcoholism. It's all for me. What does your shrink say? Kind of in there. Um, well, he kind of, he, he, like, I've had different people classify me as different things. You know, there's not, you know, he would say it would be like, uh, he, it, it, it would be obsessional, but not total OCD, but there's different ways like, like that, that whole word is changing now too. So, you know, like, you know, you could have like, like we're used to thinking, uh, OCD is like, oh, is, this has got to be, this has got to be, this has got to be screwed. This has got to be playing screwed. with yeah, a water bottle. Playing with a water bottle. Actually, when and you know when I first started doing, I first to bring, I used to bring like a rubber band in, um, <laughs> in a room with me, and I would like, I would, I would snap it to like be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm having recurring thoughts, you know, like of something you said to somebody or something like that. But then I found out I was just snapping it too much. So at a meeting, you see this crazy person in the corner, you know, snapping a rubber band. Um, and I was able to kind of navigate through it and, uh, you know, still work at a reasonably high level, you know, on top of that. I just got done uh, writing on the break with Michelle Wolf. And I wrote on the white house correspondence dinner before that. Um, I was one the, of many the, writers. The infamous Michelle. Yeah, Wolf. The, yeah, yes. right. Yes. I mean, she's uh, she's amazing and and terrific comic joke writer has been so good to me. Um, so I have not I have nothing but uh I have nothing but good things to say uh, on that front. Um, and before that, I was a I was writing a network show. But then you know, whenever I would have time off, I would tour. You know, I just I did you know, and I would do like like a late night comedy set to promote an album or a. You know, I, I, I had, you know, like appearance on Comedy Central and spe- special. So it's like one thing would stop and then I would go in the other thing. And through that time, I was kind of, I think, like if I kept working, I didn't have to think about where I was. And then if I wasn't working and I thought about where I was, then it's like, OK, well, then I got I got to drink and use because I just don't want to be with me right now. So I have a million questions about yeah. sort of your life in the entertainment business yeah, because yeah. I find that really interesting. But let, let's just circle back for a second to meditation. You said yeah. I cut you off or no, I didn't no, cut no. you off. I just sent you down many tributaries. Right, right, right. When when you, you tried it a few times in high school, when did it come back into your life? Well, it came back into my life in a big way um, about, I want to say, 2016, like the beginning of 2016. So about two or three years ago. I started doing TM, um, transcendental, transcendental meditation. meditation. I did the Beverly Hills Center with this guy named Denny, Denny, um, and he. Uh, it was it was great, um, and I and I had I had started. And I, I had recently heard about it because I had read. Um, I mean, I had I had read like David Lynch's Catching the Big Fish, which is a great book about creativity, and I don't know if you've read it. It's, I haven't. It's I a, have it, but I haven't read it. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, and I also had read, I had read more of some more, you know, Buddhist meditation, like Pama. Is it Chodron or Chodron? I always I think it's Chodron. Chodron, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I always like, it's like that Rachel Drozel or the woman who pretended Dolezal. to be black. Dolezal. I can't, like, I learned their name wrong in the beginning and then that's it. Like, I went through all my college pre- pronouncing Camu Camus and I still haven't, like, forgiven myself. <laughs> no, that's that. a, that's a, uh, that's that, the one where I'm going to take you to that. Yeah, exactly. But, I really, I really messed up there. Right. The Rachel Dolezal documentary on Netflix is really good. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it. It's a real, I mean, my album is called No Real Winners Here and that, that documentary is a real No Real. <laughs> Nobody like you, you leave that. First off, she's a tremendous painter. I will say that she for She is a good painter. Uh yeah, I mean it's it that that that's a t- you know you watch it and you're like this is a this is a sad person. You know, like it's uh I felt for her kids. Yeah, I did too. I did too. It's uh you it's not really a fun watch. No, but it's fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. I always find that um this is a little probably off topic, but I always I always find that I'm always very because I've met a couple pathological liars in my life, and I guess maybe she would qualify as that. And I don't want to focus too much because it's, it's it, that is really that that is making fun of her in my mind is like the epitome. And as a white guy, is the epitome of punching down. You know, mm-hmm. like if I'm a, if I'm a black dude, I, I can make fun of her as much as I want. But um, 
you know, she's clearly got her own cross to bear, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I got in to TM through that and that worked for a little bit. Um, although I do like, you know, you've talked about it a little bit on your podcast beforehand and, and, and even with, um, and even in your book a little bit, it, like TM is the ultimate, um, it, it, I like TM a lot and it helps and I have like a mantra and you know, all that stuff, but it's, it almost feels like crash. It almost feels like the CrossFit of meditation where you're like, like, yeah, I'm going to do this. All right. Like just concentrate on the mantra. I'm going to get done. Woo. Okay. 20 minutes. We're out, you know? And, uh, and it helps. It definitely helps. But, you know, I, I also think that I needed something, you know, for, for more of my soul for a better, better use of word, a better, and, and, uh, you know, and to be like, all right, well, how can I be more compassionate with people and, more compassion on myself and, and, and less of, you know, you know, less of a and, and more, you know, and nicer to people around me and still do what I do. And so then I, I went to this, um, um, silent retreat a couple years later. And during this time I was, I was doing a lot of the TM and, um, and I went to the silent retreat where, um, it's in Northern California. I, 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 I kind of got, I, no, no, no. I Not went to spirit walk a year later, Okay, but I went to this one place it was fine. I mean, the guy was like more interested in us getting to use his new pool. Like that's what the whole time felt like. You know, he's like, "I got the saltwater pool. You guys should use this pool." You know, what, what kind of meditation retreat is? I that? mean, he used a ver- various amount of methods. I, you know, I don't want to it just. A, it was a nice place to get away after in between jobs. But I read your book, and I think I read a Jack Cornfield book when I was up there, and I was listening to a lot of Jack Cornfield's podcast as I was walking through these kind of beautiful Northern California hills and. And really taking a, a look at my life and being like, what do I want to do? And and is this really, you know, who am I? And and then, of course, I read, like, an article in Deadline being like, this show got green. Not this show, but the show in between got greenlit. And I'm like, oh, I got to get a job on that. Like, it immediately went away. Uh, when I was, like, in this beautiful uh, Sequoia National Park, I immediately was like, how can I get back in, you know? Um, it, it's, so, it's so funny how, like, like, in a blink of an eye, you can go from, like, being, like, in your head – Dave Chappelle to then Jack Lemon's character and Glenn Gary Gwendolyn Ross, where you're just like, "Come on, bot, I'll take anything, anything, just throw it at me," you know. <laughs> uh, so then I, I, I kind of put it away uh, for a little bit, and I went to, uh, but uh, you know, there's a lot of people that I, I I read during that time, you know, like I, like like your book really helped me, and then I got into Sharon Salzberg from that, Thich Nhat Han and uh, Jack Jack Cornfield, uh, like I said before, and Eckhart Tolle, and. You know Mark Epstein, Joseph Goldstein, and I've been listening to I've been listening to a lot of Orange J. Sofer on your app, or yeah, 10%, yeah, yeah, Orange Alex Santo, Jeff Warren, which helps with my commute when I'm walking through it. So I've always been constantly like my morning ritual is now, which I may have mentioned beforehand, is you know I wake up, I listen to something meditative, or and I meditate, I pray, I write a gratitude list, and that's how I start my day. And then I try to do a little service like once a month, you know. So I, I have to have like kind of a a routine, or else I'm I forget it. I'm 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 done. Well, that makes know? a lot of sense. I mean, routine habit formation. This is the way to drill this stuff in, mm-hmm. and especially for those of us who like need help with our discipline. Uh, yeah. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but the data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier. As they say at Amica, empathy is our best policy. Whether you need auto, home, or life insurance, they're ready to help you protect the things that matter most to you. They're a mutual company, customer-owned, in service to you. 
Amica representatives are here when you need them, and you can take comfort knowing a real person will be there on the phone to take care of you because the greatest measure of their success is your satisfaction. So you you went to how many retreats have you done now? Well, that was the, I went to the silent stay, uh, the silent retreat, the, the the pool one, the pool one, yeah, and uh, then I went to Spirit Rock. Uh, Spirit Walk where I was with James Raz and Howard Cohen for the Awakening Joy re- retreat. Do you know uh-huh. those two guys? I've heard of them. Yeah, they and were. How great. long was that retreat? Well, it was six days, and then I left in four because I had to get to a job, and <laughs> you know, again, the whole time I'm like. I'm, as I'm leaving, I'm like, oh, I got to come up with ideas for this new season. Uh, I don't want to be fired. I don't want to be fired, you know. But I'm like, I wish I had stayed those two extra days. Yeah, I still regret that. But one of the things that I do remember from doing this silent meditation, and as you can tell, I have no problems with talking a lot. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, was was waking up in the morning, you can hear everybody eat, you know, and yeah. there's that like joyousness when you're hearing everybody eat. Um, but it was crazy because, you know, they give you this little Dharma seed code and you can re-listen and re-listen to some of the lectures. And I did that with um, uh, one of James's lectures yesterday for like a half hour. And I kind of put you immediately in that place of, you know, um, where your lip starts to like tremble a little bit. And, you know, there's some crazy stuff that can happen. I can only describe it uh, as... Uh, is the beginning of if you've ever done and I'm not saying do psychedelics, but in the beginning of when you do psychedelics, there's a certain ease and comfort that comes comes through when you're doing them. Um, like in the beginning, you're, the way your body starts to open up, and then you know, like the hallucinations, you're probably not going to get that from from meditation. But the like in the beginning, you do if you do it enough, there is sort of a plane and. For me, it's like it's not even when I'm doing it. Um, it's uh, it's afterwards. I'm like, oh, I was just uh, I was just less freaked out for the next two hours because I did this, and you know, oh, I'm easier. I'm I'm easier to I'm easier to work with now, or I'm easier to hang out with now, and I can listen to people more. You know, so it's you mean you right right after having done a retreat or having done well, meditation. just following this stuff in general. It's like going to the gym. You don't see the results immediately, but then all of a sudden you notice like a gradual improvement in your life so you really are seeing that because it sounds to me like in the last couple of years this has become like a a real part of your daily life it has yeah and i mean i know that that sounds crazy because about a year ago again i was in a situation where i was in you know a hospital um but uh yeah i've definitely seen seen it help with my life i mean you know I, i moved back to new york a couple months ago and started a new job and you know, on Michelle Wolf's show. Yeah, and moved right in with a girl um, who I, I love very much, and I want to make that work, and I want to do well in my job, and I uh, want moving back to a new city. So, you know, in that situation, I kind of knew that the, my old way of doing stuff wasn't really going to work anymore, and I started, you know, still having some of those you know, panic attack symptoms, you know? So I would, I, I, I was like, I got to work at this or else I'm, I'm in trouble, you know? And so uh, one year, full year sober, yeah, I don't yeah. know the, te- I don't know what the technical terms are, but that sounds like reasonably early sobriety. It is, you know, and I've had way more time beforehand. So it's like, I've had three years before. Um, and they don't recommend, by the way, getting in a relationship in that first year. Uh, so I, I don't recommend that to anybody, but it's working for us. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty new, but again, and there's a lot of humility because I've been in and out of the rooms for, you know, 12 years when I was 22, you know, and, and every time the rooms, yeah, like 12 step rooms. So like every time you, you, you know, you, you, you go out and then you, you come back in there's kind of a little bit of a humiliation there because even when you're drinking, you have your head full of all this. Well, you know you shouldn't be doing it while you're doing it. You know, it's not like you're like, maybe it'll work this time around again. But it never works in the same way. You're never going to have that moment that you had in college, you know, where you're like, you know, with your friends or in high school having a couple beers. I mean, and even then I didn't have that moment. I was still, you know, peeing myself and doing stuff like that. So it's not like... You know, it sounds like this has never worked for you. It's really never worked. And, I, you know, like almost everybody in my family, you know, 
top to bottom is, uh, you know, has been affected by this disease, you know, so it's not like, you know, I always want, but you know, your head always plays games where you're like, yeah, maybe I can do it. But for me, the 12 step stuff wasn't enough. And I also needed to just, I needed to work on the spiritual malady that I kind of had within this. And, uh, and use the past tense there had have, I mean, I still have, I shouldn't say, I should say have. And what do you mean by spiritual malady? That's a great term. I, 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 I think, um, for me telling myself, uh, you know, repeating this story in my head of, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a piece of uh, everything I touch is nothing will ever be good. Um, and then, you know, you get you get stuck in the past. Oh, I could have, you know, this. Oh, I feel bad about this. And then fearful of the future, a lot of fear. Oh, this, you know, things are going well now, but then this could happen, and all this. And none of it's living in the moment. None, none, none of this is living in the moment for me. So I always have to like like meditation for me is a real way to ground myself um, before I get started and to kind of feel. You know, feel my even like simple things like Salzburg talks about breathing in for for two seconds, and then breathing out for four seconds, and your your heart rate lowers. You know, uh, so so that's like little techniques like that have helped me a ton. Walk me through them. You talked about your morning routine. Yeah, just, just go go granular there for a second. Well, you know, it it like right now I'm I mean you know, right now I'm about to go on tour, and uh, you know, so it's going to be a little bit different. But I would uh, wake up. I pray. What? What do you say? Pray? You I actually pray. I mean, I. I it's. It's. Weird. I do uh, the Serenity Prayer. I actually do an Our Father, which I don't even know where I where I am with that. Uh, and then I do the Dalai Lama's favorite prayer. So I do like three there. And I look, man. I. It's like I'm not. I'm not. It, I. I do this. I do this because I know I have to work. I don't on my. I'm not doing this. I I I I do not belong on Oprah's soul soul conversation. You know what I mean? Like, and maybe this is my own self sabotaging thing. Like, this is like to try to make sure that I'm. And this has only been kind of a recent development where I'm like, I need to in the last four months, like five six months. Well, probably like five six months. Like, like I'm. I need to like do this routine to kind of get really into it. You know, like, um. So I do that, and then I usually listen to. A meditation, either in the shower, I, I I listen to something in the shower, inspirational, um, whether that would be like like what the beginner's mind or whatever it is. Um, and if I have time, I do a sit down meditation, and I've been using your app. But before that, I've bounced back and forth between just more of like a either a TM or you know some more of a like you know meditation for beginners like Jack Cornfield stuff, just concentrate on your breath, you know, just. You know, like, we'll get a thought as a thought. You're just, you know, you're watching the movie. You're not really, you know, like, just, just kind of just stay in the moment, stay in your breath. And then if I don't have really time for that, I'll listen to, like, a walking meditation while I'm going to the subway. And I also write a gratitude list. Every day? Yeah, I try to write a gratitude list every day. How long does that take? Just jotting down? It depends days. on how I feel in the morning. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you can always be, you know, you can always be like, hey, I've got, um, you know, I just... I I slept in a, an apartment last night when I had to literally step over two people on 14th Street at you know who uh you know probably were addicted to methadone you know so I mean that's a good place to start uh, for me because you could be one of those two people sure yeah we could all I mean this, yes, you know like uh, there's this great uh you know uh, I, I sometimes only I've only volunteered twice at this uh, place St Thomas Xavier it's on a Fifty. They have a really great um, uh, soup kitchen there, but you know, you talk to the people that are outside of it, and you know, you're expecting these kind of caricatures of like the homeless, and it's like, oh no, these are just normal people who've, you know, like some of them struggling with mental illness, of course, but a lot of them, you're like, man, you just got a bad card, you know, you just pulled a bad card. So, I mean, that's a good place to start for me. You know, it's usually my relation, you know, my girlfriend. I look at my job. I, even when I put a ton of pressure on myself with whatever work I'm doing, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I thank, you know, I, I, I'm thankful that I'm not about to go broke like that day, you know, that I'll have food to eat that day. So it's very simple stuff. And then I'll usually try to find a quote. And I also have a self-help guy. <laughs> I have like, I basically have a team of scientists working on me. 
Um, I was going to say, what shines through to me is that it sounds like you're working really hard yeah. to keep it together. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that's 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 kind of what I've been what I've been doing. I've been working hard to keep it together and to to you know almost uh to learn from some some mistakes that I've made and try to be just a, a better person. We've had a lot of people from the entertainment industry on this show. Uh-huh. Do you think it's common among creative types to have the kind of struggles you're describing so powerfully? Um I don't know. I think we try to make ourselves be a little bit more special. You know, look, I've known just as many messed up electricians, man. You know, like I, you know, like I think that being alive is tough. We all know that we're going to die at some point. Uh, well, we don't think about that, but yeah. yeah, you know, we we really like it. Everything is just so insignificant, like in in a lot of ways, and when really all you have is is how you treat other people and. You know, like one one thing that I was I know that I need to work on one of the one of the many things that I need to work on, but is like I should be a vegetarian. That's something I know I should do. Like, like we're killing something with the central nervous system, but you know, in time, I'm gonna get there. But I, I just want to jump in uh, with a caveat yeah. that I'm not a mental health expert. Yeah, it seems to me like you're you got enough on your plate <laughs> to, yeah. to use a loaded metaphor. That, that's there. what I hear. I still yeah. vape from time to time, um, not with weed. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. There's this is this is all jumbly, man. I'm sorry, I'm not like no, no, no. Out here. This is a podcast. Yeah, we, yeah. Podcasts yeah. are by definition jumbly. I know. I, we I like get the anxiety jumble. now, but um, I, no, you I should feel no anxiety. Uh, yeah, I'm telling you, you should right. feel you're, okay. you, you are doing great. All right. Um, people, you're just to just to expand on that point. It's incredibly useful for people to hear somebody speak openly about their struggles. Yeah, because we may not all have it uh, as as dramatic a set of circumstances. As yeah, you, but we all. You said it before. It's hard to be alive. Yeah, it's hard to be. It's a Chris Rock. You know, it's hard to be a person. <laughs> and uh, I like the term I, I talked about in one in my first book, the wound of existence. Yeah, it means like we we did not ask to be here. Uh, it's confusing, and. Um, yeah, we're all kind of wrestling with it in our own ways, much of it through denial, or sometimes through deliberate numbing. Um, yeah. So I don't see any reason for you to be anxious about this discussion. Yeah, that felt good. Thank you. I meant that. Um, you know, you know, actually was been helping me a couple of days is uh, John Mulaney, who was on your podcast. Yeah. Just because like John Mulaney is basically uh, like for guys my age, he's like the LeBron you know what I mean? Like, no one's going to be as good of a comic as John. John's John's at the top. But, you know, Michelle's up there. And it's such a relief now. It used to be like, you know, in my 20s, I was like, I want to get to that point. Now I'm like, oh, okay, I don't. Ha- I can still have fun with this. And not because those people got the top spots. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm still not going to get to the top spots. Like, uh, you don't this- know. What you might get to the no, top? No, I, I, I don't want. First off, I don't know if I want. Look, man, I'm. I, I'd love to. I don't need to be Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen. I'd love to be a Warren Zevon. You know, fair enough. <laughs> that, that that sounds pretty great. Bob to me. Seger, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it. yeah. That would be even though Warren Zevon was a pretty unhappy guy. But you know, John Mulaney, Again, you mentioned he's the first. Are you? Va- you say you're vape. Is that tobacco? Sorry, you're vaping? Sorry, yeah. Um, I'll stop that. No, no, you can do it. With, I, I, Chappelle did it his entire most in his most recent comedy show. Yeah, yeah, it, it's odorless, and I already checked with the doctor. It doesn't it? Doesn't it's not like secondhand smoke, so I, I, you won't I, be. You won't I, be. That was curiosity. If, not, no, no, not, you won't be affected by it. That's I, what I'm I wasn't worried about. Okay, it. I'm just curious. I smoke it like a 1970s mood, newsman. I'm like like Jason Roberts or something. Does it make you less man. anxious? Yeah, it's nicotine. So yeah. it's 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 you know the only problem is like one of these things, one of these little vape packages. Is like one one pack of cigarettes, so it's like oh now I'm smoking three of these a day, which is still better than my lungs. But if I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, I'd I'd have a voice box right now. It does speak to the level of anxiety you're feeling right now and generally. Yeah, but John Mulaney, who is not only a former guest on the show but is a friend of mine, you know, mm-hmm. I, he's I don't want to speak out of school here, but I would just say it's not like his mind is permanently placid, yeah. even though he's at what you would call the top spot. 
No, I'm sure it's not. No, I, it's a relief that he's there. That's what I, I was trying to say. It's almost like I used to look at the guys who were so above me as like, oh, I'm never going to be there. And now I'm like, oh, thank God. I can just be as good as I can be. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. You know, we're in, in, in kind of a – like I'm still pretty – you know, I'm st- just because I'm not in the – you know, one of the top guys or girls in this or, uh, you know, doesn't mean that I need to – I need to be, you know, I can be just pretty good at it. I think about that a lot, too, in the news business. Yeah. I think about that a lot because it's hard to deal with envy and then self-judgment and competition and all that stuff. But if you can just be like, if your attitude can be, uh, I'm just going to be the best version of myself. I'm just going to do the best I can and let the chips fall where they may. That seems to me the, like the sanest attitude. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I hope in my life is that, you know, did you see that Ram Das documentary on I Netflix? Did. Yeah. And you want to kind of have that serenity at the end, right? But it would also be nice to live in Hawaii. <laughs> but, I mean, that would be, I guess it would be harder if it was like Teaneck, New Jersey, and you're trying to, <laughs> and you don't have the private pool and the lovely statues everywhere. He also uh, has a lot of money. Cause he also he has comes, a lot of money. He comes from a very wealthy family. Y- yeah. So maybe, maybe uh, if I could get like a, yeah, if I could if I could have some sort of way to end it like a Ram Dass, but in you know, Burbank, that would be fantastic. He's done a lot of meditation and other spiritual yeah. work, however, too. I think that is no, really of course, the, of the course. variable. Yeah. You talk you've talked a little bit about compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you you there was a phrase somewhere a while ago you, you talked about being as nice as you can given what you do. And in comedy and we saw this with Michelle Wolf, and you, right. helped, you helped write her right, now right. infamous. Yeah, speech. I wrote some of those. So, how do you? A lot of people took issue with that as being unkind. How do you manage what you describe as a desire to be kind with the exigencies and demands of comedy, which can require a certain level of, let's just say, judgmentalism? Is well, I use I use this. Uh, I mean, I'll say this in the term that for a while, um, you know, I I think. I, I, myself, and almost a whole generation of straight white male comedians would use the F word on stage a lot. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the other one, you know, you know, as like a, in, in a, a not, not, term not for, as, for gays. Yeah, yeah, not as like, and not as like, uh, and, and not, and not in a homophobic way in the sense of like, like, like we're like making fun of like that, but we use that as this vernacular. And afterwards you're like, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. Like that's that's a word that's hurt a lot of people, even when I'm not using it in that sense. You know. But I thought part of the ethos of comedy was look, no lines. I think. I mean, I think that sometimes you have to police your own line, right? You know, like. But I think. But here's another thing: is that there's a lot of trial and error. There's there's some stuff that's happening now. You know, if you look at James Gunn or some of these people. Um, who, you know, like who are who their stuff is being excavated from, you know, 2008, 2009, you know, people make mistakes while they're doing it and they get, you know, and I think there's a difference between being called out and then having a career ruined either. You know, like there, there's there's a difference between that. But at the White House Correspondents Dinner, that's not punching down, <laughs> you know, like as far as the people we were talking about there. And plus the whole, you know, and I'm not going to speak for the, first off, I'm speaking on my own views. I'm not speaking for the show at all. But, you know, a, a, a lot of the things that were, the, you know, especially the right-wing media take them out of context and there. And it's it's like the, the most powerful line of that speech is Flint still doesn't have clean water. So I think you have to look at who you're punching up with and who you're punching down with. You know, like, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, like, it's... As much as I have to be, I'm not gonna. There's no. I'm, I'm not gonna get off of this podcast and shed a tear that Betsy DeVos's yacht is now, hopefully somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean with a, you know, island of plastic. You know that we're really not worried about. You know, I don't know if it's Pacific Ocean or it's Northeast Ocean. I'm glad I haven't had to read the news in the past week. But I, I think it. I think it's a difference, and you know, sometimes it's how you you hit somebody, but. Um, you know, when you're writing, you know, like luckily when you're a writer on something, you know, you're just writing a bunch of stuff and some of it's going to be offensive and you're not, I am so glad I don't have to be a head writer or an EP and I have to decide what's really a fair, because like, you know, when you're, when you're writing comedy, it's almost like, you know, you're sometimes like Heath Ledger and the Joker, you know, when he's like, I just chase cars, you know, like you're just like, oh, anything, anything, I gotta get these jokes out, you know? Um, but I'm, you know, like 
I'm not making decisions, but I, I think that everything in that speech was was fair. I, I don't, you know, like I, I don't think that, you know, I, I, I you know, those, those people put themselves in a position to be there, unfortunately, and. You know, I mean, like, look, I would love it. I, I I think that the screaming right and the screaming left, I'm probably I'm probably a little less left wing than some of my friends even, you know, but I, and I wish that there was kind of a happy medium there. Um, but, uh, it, it you, you know, we're we're dealing with a, you know, I, yeah, it's exhausting, man. You get on you get on, you know, you go on Twitter and. You know, and you see like some of the stuff that's being spouted and the rhetoric that's and and just the, people having the instant thought of like, like, hey, I'm just going to tweet something really fast. And then um, and then the, and that usually like I've always thought first thought wrong, you know, um, I'm going to tweet something really fast or Facebook something really fast. And then and that's going to be, you know, the truth. And of, of course, I've made that mistake. And I think a bunch of other comedians have made that mistake. But if somebody's actually like thinking about what they're saying when they say it, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Do people find a modest proposal offensive? You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think, I think you do have to use your words carefully, but you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, Rome is burning. <laughs> I don't know. You know, so it's, and, and I really, I would love, I would love it if the standard that have, that has been put on entertainers and comedians is the same that's put on politicians. And I, I don't, I personally don't see it. I mean, it has, I think in the past for sure in the nineties and early two thousands. Um, but I, I don't, I, I don't see it being put, you know, put on the same, but that's also because I think there's been, and this really is more of a, and my, my foray is not politics. It's, it's uh you guys you guys that that's all you you know i'm i'm just a i'm just a clown right but uh i i do think that like we live in kind of hysterical times i mean this is not that this is not a normal this isn't even taking down george w bush we're in a whole new realm here you know what, tell me about the new record the new record oh it's just comedy bits there's only a little bit of politics in it and uh Nothing of what I've talked about today will be on this record. I'm just trying to be funny. What's the um, name? It's called name? No Real Winners here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be on 800 Pound Gorilla Records. So check that out. Uh-huh. I also I love professional wrestling. So I'm going to have a professional wrestling podcast on all things comedy called Total <laughs> Marks. Again, nothing to do with meditation. Uh, <laughs> and the album really has nothing to do with it. Although I do. <sighs> And was it a record a live show recorder? Yeah, did? well, I recorded the Stand Comedy Club in New York City, which is a great club. They're opening up a new location and a Comedy Club on State in Madison, which is just a, a terrific club, uh, home of the great Paul Ryan. Um, no, I, I, I if it, uh, it's 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 um, it was it was it's, it was terrific. So you you record the record, then you go out on tour in support of it, but you can't use any of the material from the record one in the shows, can you? Most good comics wouldn't, but I've been writing on a show for a couple months, so you will see some of that on tour. For By the time this comes out, the tour is going to be done, so hopefully by the time you see me in New York City doing sets, it's a whole new set. Stand-up's the hardest thing to write. Like It's easier to write for other people, but it's very hard to write for yourself. Why? I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't tell you. I, I can't tell you. I've, I've, I have a much easier time writing a script than I do stand-up. I don't know. I, I, I still I, I don't know because finding your own voice is very different than writing a late night joke. It's it's just it's just really tough. It's really tough. And and the last question for me just is it sounds to me and again I've gleaned this from the other folks in the entertainment industry we've had on we've had on the show that the, the lifestyle of like going from thing to thing you never know what's going to work most of it doesn't. Yeah. Um, that seems really stressful. You said before that meditation has been useful for some of that. Yeah, you know, I'm okay when I'm on stage. I get more nervous about podcasts about what I say. No, I'm talking um, about like the fact that shows. No, go I mean because either I oh, oh you mean like as far as TV shows? Yeah, it's yeah. very stressful. Yeah, and then you go out on the road. You don't know if this record's going to hit. You don't know anything. Yeah, I mean, and also now it's like everything with streaming per- service. The amount of money you can make is it's far less. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's the great unknown, right? But sometimes I get, you know, like probably the most fun I ever had was when I was a 
was when I was a night security guard at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and I was doing open mics. So it's like, you know, I'll be okay, I think, no matter what. You know, like I have a, I can't believe I'm saying that for the first time. I used to live in a lot of fear about that, but I'll be okay if I don't make it. Like, I'll be okay if this stops. Sometimes I get great relief thinking that it'll stop. And I've looked at other career options in, in the mental health field, and I would be able to do something else. I 100% would be able to do something else. I love to do what I do, but I would, if there was a situation where I would, where the work would dry up, I'd be okay. I'd find something else to do. I really would. And it gives me great peace saying that, you know? I like thinking about that, too. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's always, unfortunately, it's always going to be a struggle and you always got to reinvent yourself, but it gets exhausting because you always got to re- re- reinvent yourself. You know, that lends itself to an inherent nar- narcissism, you know? Mm-hmm. So you always have to like then keep that in balance so you don't lose the people around you that loved you and, and supported you. Um, uh, yeah. I, I had one at Spirit Walk. I had one. This is for me is like, like my, uh, I don't know if we can even use this in the podcast, but this for me is like my existence uh, in in general is like like I I um like I remember my therapist died a couple of years ago and it was very close with me had a heart attack and I you, you know do you remember in Spirit Walk there's that death shrine kind of where you you put you can go up there and put like a picture a note I don't remember that you remember that there's no. like a I guess it's like a Buddhist kind of it's been a long time temple. since I've been there yeah they put up there and like. I wasn't used to a vegetarian diet, so like I had like had this note that I'd written him, and I wanted to put it up, and I went to the the temple or whatever. It was like just a series of stones, and I put it under one of the rocks. And I've been around people meditating. I've literally been holding in a fart for like four days. So I was like, "All right, well, no one's here." So I put in the note for my dead therapist, and then I like lit out like the biggest fart that I've ever in my entire life. And then I turn around, and there's a woman holding a picture of her dead husband about to put, and I'm like, I just ruined this woman's spiritual moment. Like she just came up to this death shrine to like find peace with her dead husband. And literally she came up to a big fat bearded guy farting. Like this is like, so I'm never going to be Jack Cornfield, but hopefully I can learn some <laughs> along the way. Uh, that's a pretty good place to close. We we use it all on the podcast, so it'll be there. Um, uh, before we go, plug like just oh, I just did that. Oh, uh, what, what? yeah. So my my album, No Real Winners, here is on eight hundred pound Gorilla Records. Um, I social uh, media, social media, DS Germain on Twitter and, and uh, on Instagram, Dan Saint Germain. Um, I'm you know check out Total Marks on all things comedy. That's the All Things Comedy Network podcast. And I'll probably at that point have posted new dates. Hey, watch old episodes of The Break uh, uh, starring Michelle Wolf on Netflix because um, we're still waiting here back about a second season. Um, so please watch him. Tell your friends to watch him and share him. Um, you know, even if they're really right wing because the numbers will really help us either way. So, <laughs> Excellent job. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you. Okay, that does it for another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to subscribe, rate us. Also, if you want to suggest topics you think we should cover or guests that we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan B. Harris. Importantly, I want to thank uh, the people who produce this podcast, Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, and the rest of the folks here at ABC who helped make this thing possible. We have tons of other podcasts. You can check them out at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. 
And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.